You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast, where today I'm talking about The twin film phenomenon. So have you ever noticed that two similar movies come out around the same time and they're about pretty much the exact same thing? Well, there's a reason for that. So you're not crazy. This actually happens all the time. So you may see a trailer for one movie and then you see pretty much the identical trailer like three months later. And you're like, wait a minute, I'm pretty sure I've already seen that movie. So I dug in, did some research and found out exactly why studios can get away with doing this. And I was actually pretty satisfied of what I found out. In the second part of this, I'll also take two twin movies that were up against each other and find out which one did better at the box office and which one we kind of remember more and had more of an impact on our lives. Because some of these I forgot were even made. Also in my movie review this week, I'll talk about The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson, a pretty weird movie overall, and I'll get into that. And I'll round up some movie news about some sequels being made that I'm pretty excited about. So all that will be covered here on this episode. Thanks for hitting play. Thanks for hitting download if you don't mind. Hit that follow button so you get brand new episodes every single Monday is when these come out. If you also have a friend who's into movies and be like, hey, you know, Movie Mike from the Bobby Bone Show, he has a podcast where all he does is talk about movies. You should check it out. That would help me out. And also, if you want, leave that five-star rating and that review on Apple Podcasts because that helps me kind of bump myself up there and get noticed by other people who maybe have no idea who I am. Well, it's pretty much assume that nobody does, okay? <laughs> and as always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Distro. I usually throw out the topic on my Twitter, so if you want to go follow me on there, you can kind of give your opinion even before I record the episode. So with all that out of the way, let's get started. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. So today I'm talking about why two similar movies can come out around the same time. They have pretty much similar plots. Maybe even the title is similar. 
but a few key differences make it to where they're just known as something called twin films, which is something I recognized probably early on as a kid and I didn't really know what was going on. So what I want to do in this first segment is just talk about why this happens and how people are able to do this essentially without getting sued. Because I remember this as a kid when I watched A Bug's Life and that came out, it was a Pixar movie. And I was like, okay, I love this movie. It's about bugs and they're uprising against some grasshoppers. And then another movie comes out called Ants, which is pretty much the exact same thing. You have these little insect ants and it's about which is a, a bit more of a darker movie, but pretty much around the same time, pretty much about the same thing. Didn't think about it much as a kid. And now I see it kind of more and more happening. And I really wanted to discuss and find out why studios can get away with this. Is it just that, hey, we found out they're doing a movie about this, so let's get on it before theirs comes out? Or is it there's actually some stealing going on here? Like, why are people getting sued over something like this? Because in the news, so much we see in music where people basically get sued for three notes. If you put out a song that sounds even similar to another song, that person can then sue you and say, hey, you stole my thing. So why is that a thing in music and not a thing in movies? So I kind of figured out why, and it actually kind of makes a bit of sense, and all of it actually isn't as negative as I thought. So basically what it boils down to in movies is you can't copyright an idea you can copyright a script but a basic idea and plot of a movie is something that you cannot physically copyright and that is why people and studios are able to do this so i'll use one example i'm going to get into a bunch of different examples of two movies that were pretty much the same movie that came out and i'll uh, compare which one came out on top but i do have some that just kind of work as examples to explain the situation so the movies i'm going to be looking at first are white house down and olympus has fallen which are pretty much about the exact same thing channing tatum's white house down came out three months after olympus has fallen and this is why this happened so white house down was sold as a spec script which is basically just somebody who wrote a movie and pitched a script to a movie studio that's what a spec script is and they sold that as a package to sony with the director already attached and everything was pretty much laid out for this movie. The budget was $150 million, All the production values and everything was... They were going to build like a big replica of the White House. All this was in the deal for this movie. But then over here on the other side, you have Olympus Has Fallen, which wasn't a part of this movie studio at all. It was an entirely different script with a budget around $70 million. So it was supposed to be more of a, like an independent movie. And they both actually knew that these movies were being made about the same time. But when the movies were coming out, they both thought that they had the better script, that they had the better movie. So they decided to go forth and both put out their movies around the same time. So Sony thought they had a better script with a better director, who was Roland Emmerich, who was known for a bunch of big blow-up action movies. And then Olympus Has Fallen thought they had the better movie, so they put their movie out three months after and pretty much just let audiences decide who had the better movie. So in this case, it's not all bad. While they both knew that they both had similar scripts and similar stories coming out around the same time, they kind of see it also as they're able to use each other's promotions to benefit the other movie, to benefit themselves, really, because they're promoting their movie about an attack on the White House, and another movie is kind of doing the same thing. So it kind of has, in the public's eye, you see these both movies with similar scripts, and you kind of see these both trailers, and you're thinking, okay, I've kind of seen and heard about these movies. Maybe you don't know which one is attached to which one, and you end up being just interested in the story together. And then you kind of base which one you want to go see 
on maybe you like the actors better, you like the director better, and then you make your pick. So these movie studios are kind of just riding each other's coattails on the promotion of this and really, in the end, letting the audience decide which one they like better. It's not really, in this case, them stealing the other person's idea. Because another thing that happens is somebody will go to somebody with one of these spec scripts and be like, hey, I had this movie, a really great idea. An executive will read it and go through it and be like, you know what? This isn't really a movie for us. And later they get wind that, oh, somebody else took that script and is now making that movie. They've already seen that script. So they take somebody else and bring a writer in and be like, okay, this is basically what this movie is about. We want to write a very similar movie without taking some key elements from their script and just making it our own. That way, when they get their movie up into production, we're right there behind them. The problem with this is that you hear about these twin films, but you rarely hear about twin hits because when they're just so similar, you're almost splitting that audience of like, which one's going to go see the other. So although they both get their movies out around the same time and they're able to still make money off of these movies, one usually ends up being better than the other almost in every single scenario. Very few instances where they're both hits, that hardly ever happens. Sometimes they pretty much split the money right down the middle and make about the same amount of money. But rarely is it that both movies come out to be totally successful. Another reason why this happens is that there are certain scripts and certain storylines that are public domain, which is something I just found out about because you hear about songs being public domain. For example, like whenever Happy Birthday was put into the public domain, that means that restaurants can now legally sing it without having to pay any royalties to the songwriters because public domain means anybody can use it for free. You don't have to pay royalties to the person who wrote it. There are actually public domain movie scripts. So going back to that idea that you can you can't steal an idea, but you can steal a movie script. You can't just take the script to Iron Man and make your own Iron Man and be okay. No, you can take a storyline that's public domain and make your own adaptation of that movie. So an example I'm going to use is Mirror Mirror and Snow White and the Huntsman. So first of all, everybody thinks that Disney owns Snow White. Disney does not own Snow White. They were the first ones to make Snow White, but the actual script for Snow White is public domain, which means anybody can take that initial story written by the Brothers Grimm, and that story is public domain, meaning that nobody owns it, that as long as anybody takes that story and kind of makes it their own, they can use that no matter how they want. So Disney doesn't own Snow White. They were the first ones to kind of make it their own and they put their own elements into the story to where you find it as a Disney movie and a Disney story, but they actually don't own the rights to that movie at all. So whenever Mirror Mirror came out and Snow White and the Huntsman, which was by Universal, two not Disney companies, they were both able to make this movie because it is public domain and anybody has the rights to that script. So this is kind of why every few years you see maybe movies about Snow White because you can take that story and make it your own. There's some other public domain movies too. Recently, the original Peter Pan is now a public domain movie. So maybe you'll see a new revamped story of Peter Pan coming in the next few years. And the most recent example is A Star is Born. That story is actually a public domain story. So whenever Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga did that, that, was, that story's actually been remade and retold several different times. And sometimes movie companies don't really like to let people know about that kind of thing because, because making a remake is kind of, it has like a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. Like, oh, that's just a remake. It's very uncreative. Even when that movie came out, they never said it was a remake because it really wasn't. It was just a reinterpretation of that script that is public domain. So the other thing I kind of think about is why don't these movies just pull out of an idea once they see somebody else is making that movie? And there are a couple of reasons for this. 
Mainly, once a film is in production, there's so much money already sunk into the movie that you can't really recoup that money because you've already put so much money into it. By hopping out of that movie just because somebody else is doing it would end up losing you way more money, so you kind of just have to commit to it at that point, no matter how bad that sucks. The other reason this happens is because sometimes people are just reacting to what's happening in the world at that time. So, you know, around 2012, there was a big thing about the end of the world. Everybody thought the world was going to end around 2012 for some reason. So naturally writers are going to start writing scripts and making movies about the end of the world. So you're going to have all these kind of ideas floating around and eventually the scripts get made and somebody just tries to beat somebody to the punch to make that same movie. So while nobody's really stealing ideas here, it's the same kind of thing in comedy. Just because somebody finds something funny and makes a joke about it, somebody else probably finds that same similar situation funny and writes a joke about it too. And then later they both do the joke and then there's a big debate on like, oh, you stole my joke. Well, really... It's just because people react to the same situations in life just like anybody else would. So the same thing kind of happens when they're making these movies. Like when Steve Jobs died, for example, there were two movies made about Steve Jobs that were pretty similar. One had Ashton Kutcher, one had Michael Fassbender. And it wasn't that like, oh, they're making a Steve Jobs movie. I'm going to make that. It's just because it's just because his death was a big deal at the time and somebody was going to own the rights to the movie and somebody else was just going to make a movie based on his biography. And maybe sometimes they actually do end up stealing stories from another movie company. And they're just like, oh, I had no idea you were making that movie. Oh, wow. Uh, This is uh, quite the coincidence here. Well, I guess we'll see who does better. That happens, too. Let's not be blind to that, that generally people will rip off other people's ideas that they think are good. And there are also instances where they even work together. There was one instance in a movie I'll bring up here in a bit where they were like, oh, wait, we have two pretty much similar scripts. They're different in tone, but we kind of want to work together a bit so to make them not exactly the same for audiences. I think overall, Hollywood doesn't like it when they end up having to put out twin films because like I said, one's going to do better. One's probably going to be a lot less memorable. And they often go to really great lengths to make sure this doesn't happen. And it kind of sucks when sometimes there is a really great script out there, but it's too similar to another one and one ends up not being made just because someone else beat them to the punch on it. But I guess that's just the way it is. I think the main thing that I just find pretty crazy is that the way they shop scripts of like you can take your script that you've been working on to one company and they say no to you and you take it to someone else and they end up making the movie. But just because that person remembers your story and remembers that it was good, they just couldn't really make it at the time or they didn't want to invest in you and they go and make their own script. That's just some shady stuff that really sucks for the writer who invested in this script and maybe put so much effort and time to making this script and someone else just steals it. That part of it sucks. But what I want to get into next is movies that actually went head-to-head against each other that were very similar, these twin films. Which one won at the box office? Which one we remember more? There are some of these that I'm like, I had no idea that that was even a thing. They were just so bad. So let's look at these next right after this. It took 11 years to get to the sale. The NYX anniversary sale is on now at knix.com. Celebrate the intimate apparel company that has reinvented products for real life with one of NYX's biggest sales of the year. Get 30% off all leak-proof apparel from the number one leak-proof brand in North America, including period underwear, swimwear, activewear, and more. Millions of people have made the switch to NYX leak-proof underwear, and there's never been a better time for you to try. Save 30% on super comfortable, machine-washable, and great-looking underwear that's perfect for periods and light bladder leaks. 
Choose from a variety of colors, styles, and sizes, from extra small to 4XL. You can even match your leak-proof underwear with an incredibly supportive and comfortable NYX wireless bra. Don't miss this chance to stock up on your NYX favorites or try something new. It only happens once a year at NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com for the NYX anniversary sale. Hurry, the sale ends on Monday, May 13th. Go to NYX.com. That's K-N-I-X.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, guys. You know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. All right, so now we're going to look at twin films. I'm going to give you two movies that were very similar, came out around the same time. I'll kind of tell you what they were about and uh, the two movie studios involved and which one ended up coming out on top. Where I want to start is the one I remember as a kid, which were Ants and A Bug's Life. Both came out in 1998 and pretty much just followed the life of one ant's point of view. Very similar stories. And I think the kids, maybe you don't really notice the difference. They're like, okay, kids aren't really going to pay attention to this. They just want to see an animated movie about ants. And they won't mind in a few other months that another movie will come out about ants. I just thought these were oddly similar. I was a bigger fan of A Bug's Life because I just like Pixar movies more as a kid. And even Ants had a bit of a darker tone. It was Sylvester Stallone. And I remember from that movie, it was the first time, I think, in an animated movie where I heard people curse. I think they dropped uh, Hell, maybe even SOB in that movie. And I was just like, whoa, this is a way darker movie than A Bug's Life. Um, but Ants came from DreamWorks Animation and A Bug's Life came from Disney Pixar. At the box office, Ants brought in $171 million, and A Bug's Life just crushed them with $363 million. So pretty much not a real big competition for Disney and Pixar. It was just a much bigger brand at the time and really was kind of stepping into this animation collaborations with Pixar around this time, like with the success of Toy Story and all that. So they were really no match here. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Let's move into one of my favorite genres, the disaster movie. I'm a sucker for a good disaster movie. I think Twister is probably one of my favorite movies of all time. I just really like the overall concept of a disaster movie. Actually, next week, I think I'm going to get a chance to meet Dennis Quaid, and I really want to ask him about the day after tomorrow. One of my favorite disaster movies, but I'm looking right now at 1997 when you had Dante's Peak against Volcano, which both revolved around the cast trying to outrun volcanic eruptions. So you got Pierce Brosnan and Dante's Peak and you got Tommy Lee Jones and Volcano. Pretty much about the same thing. 
One is in a small town up north. The other one is centered in Los Angeles. And at the box office, Dante's Peak put in $178 million, which Volcano brought in $122 million. So not too far off. I remember being a bigger fan of Volcano. And I think it was just, for me, at the time, the title, Volcano. I kind of knew what I was going into watching the movie. It gave me everything I wanted. And Dante's Peak, I just remember not really knowing what it was about at the time. I actually rewatched them both pretty recently. And yeah, I still think Volcano holds up a little bit more than Dante's Peak. Although, I think you really can't go wrong in a disaster movie. For some reason, I know they're not the greatest movies as far as the acting and the plot. But man, put on a good disaster movie and that is a solid Friday night. Did anybody feel that? Gentlemen, please remain calm. Please just stay. Staying in the disaster space, you have 1998 Armageddon versus Deep Impact. One, you got Robert Duvall. One, you have Bruce Willis. Both pretty much trying to save the world from a big asteroid or comet. Pretty much about the same thing. At the box office, Armageddon brought in $553 million and Deep Impact brought in $349 million. Both pretty big blockbusters, but I think... Just on pop culture, Armageddon had a way bigger impact, uh, no pun intended, but I think with the song, Aerosmith, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing, was just a big thing that's tied to that movie, and when you bring up these kind of disaster movies, and I think you just forget about Deep Impact a little bit, and really Armageddon is the one that stands out, maybe because of Bruce Willis. Captain America here blew the landing by 26 miles. How the hell do you know that? Because I'm a genius. This next one I thought was interesting. I've seen one of them and actually never took time to watch the other one. And 1998 and 1999, you have The Truman Show and Ed TV, which both follow men whose lives are pretty much being filmed 24-7. The difference in this one is in Ed TV, he agrees to it. And in The Truman Show, he has no idea that this is happening. And I think looking at box office numbers, you know which one we remember more because Ed TV brought in $35.2 million and The Truman Show, $264 million. And it was nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Director. And The Truman Show is just one of my favorite Jim Carrey movies. I like the more serious side of Jim Carrey. And I just remember the ending on this movie just really hitting me in the heart. I thought overall his acting was just really great in this, where it kind of goes from borderline comedic and just really dramatic of like Jim Carrey going through his character, finding out that he is being filmed throughout the entire movie. The idea that he didn't know, I think, was just a better concept about this movie. Unlike the ATV version with Matthew McConaughey, where he just kind of agrees to it, there's really nowhere else to go in the movie after that. And quite frankly, is a movie that we probably forgot was made. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yeah. Next one's pretty interesting. We got Disney Pixar back in the mix, which pretty much we find when you go up against Disney, you're probably not going to win. So in 2003, they put out Finding Nemo, hit theaters, big success. And then about one year later, Will Smith came out with another fish tale called Shark Tale. The plots are pretty different in this one. The real concept is just that it's a fish movie because Finding Nemo is about Nemo. He gets lost and his dad goes to find him. In Shark Tale, it's Will Smith and the shark. But overall, Finding Nemo just crushed Shark Tale at the box office, bringing in $921 million compared to Shark Tale's $367 million. Also spawned off Finding Dory. And it's really just a movie that we remember more. So you go against Disney and you pretty much get rocked every time. Nemo! Except in 2005 when Disney and DreamWorks were at it again, DreamWorks put out Madagascar and Disney put out a movie called The Wild, which is actually a movie I don't really remember at all. But both movies had similar plots about animals getting loose from the zoo. 
And in this case, Madagascar crushed Disney with $532 million compared to The Wild, which is $102 million, which the most surprising thing to me is that I don't even remember The Wild. I remember Madagascar being such a big thing, but this other Disney movie, it's not even brought up into conversation anymore. And overall, the Madagascar franchise has grossed $2.2 billion worldwide. So this is just a very rare instance where another studio went up against Disney and actually won over time. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Yeah, I like to move it. I like to move it, move it. These two movies that came out in 2006, I was actually a fan of both. For some reason, I was into magic at the time. And The Prestige and The Illusionist are pretty much both about magicians. One has Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, and the other one has Edward Norton, which I think are both pretty solid movies. One is a little more developed than the other, and, and also you have two better actors, maybe. So in The Prestige, you have Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, which are two magicians competing against each other. And then Edward Norton is about his character using magic solely for love. Both, I think, pretty good movies. Both, I thought, were fairly enjoyable and at the box office did pretty much about the same. The Prestige brought in $109 million compared to The Illusion bringing in $87 million. And I think overall, we just like a good magician movie. Even though they came out around the same time, I don't think they suffered from it. That's why every magic trick has a third act. The hardest part. The part we call the prestige now this next one has two very similar plots it's the one i was talking about where they actually helped out each other because they knew that they were both making movies about the same subject so you have sony making paul blart's mall cop and then you have warner brothers making observe and report seth rogan said that they actually both knew that they were making mall cop movies and they even worked together and sent each other pictures of their wardrobe just to make sure they weren't stepping on each other's toes now, these are both really different movies, which I think compared to the other ones I've talked about, Paul Blart Mall Cop is a family comedy with Kevin James, often a movie that just kind of gets ridiculed a bit. Kevin James being a lovable mall cop who takes his job a little too seriously. And then you have Observant Report, which is also about a mall cop taking his job very seriously, but it's more of a dark comedy, especially with the scenario that he's dealing with. There's a flasher in the movie that he's trying to take down, and he goes to really great lengths to enforce his duties as a mall cop. He's also trying to land his dream girl in the movie, and eventually tries to make it as a police officer. But overall, just a very dark comedy. So for that reason, I kind of see why there's such a big difference in the movie numbers because Paul Blart Mall Cop made $183 million, which is surprising to me because that's kind of viewed as a generally bad movie with Kevin James. And then Observe and Report brought in $27 million, which is hard for me to see just because I liked Observe and Report. I like a good dark comedy and I really like Seth Rogen in this movie. It wasn't so much of one of his really funny kind of comedic roles. It was just seeing him more serious I just think maybe audiences didn't really get the movie or maybe just thought the plot was kind of dumb because Paul Blart Mall Cop was around the same time. Placing your right hand on your away hip thusly, giving the illusion that you have a gun, which of course we both know you don't. This one in 2011 was pretty much the exact same movie being made except for two different A-list stars as the lead. So you have Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached, which are both about pretty much having friends with benefits. One just straight up says it in the movie title. The other one takes that title and kind of makes it a little bit different. Friends with Benefits actually had the working title first called F Buddies. So just to explain what this movie was about. So you have two movies pretty much about the exact same thing. Audience is a torn, but you have two A-list actors in each of the movies as the leads. And it pretty much came down to what audiences want to go see. Do you want to see 
this situation with Justin Timberlake and Mila Kunis, or do you want to see this situation with Natalie Portman and Ashton Kutcher? Both went to the box office at the same time, and the winner is... Well, they pretty much made about the same amount of money. Friends with Benefits made $149.5 million, and No Strings Attached made $147.8 million. So you take a mediocre script, you put some A-list actors in it, and you make about the same amount of money. Real shocker there. You know, why don't they ever make a movie about what happens after the big kiss? They do. It's called porn. So there are a lot of other movies that this has happened to. These twin movies, everything from like Babe and Gordy, Chasing Liberty and First Daughter, Girls Trip and Rough Night. And even Batman vs. Superman and Captain America Civil War. And pretty much you get one that does way better at the box office and one that we remember more. And the other one turns into kind of a cash grab to ride the coattails of the other movie. I think also what we may see more of this is documentaries. That's a really big thing right now. And like in 2019 where Hulu released Fire Fraud and Netflix dropped another fire documentary. I think people are just reacting to what's going on right now. I just thought it was really interesting that why this happens and how they pretty much can't get sued for stealing an idea. But all right, next I'm going to hop into my review of The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson. I also have some movie news in the, um, the outro I'll do today. So some sequels being made that I'm pretty excited about. Get into that next. All right, so I watched The Lighthouse with Robert Pattinson and William Defoe. It's about two lighthouse keepers who are on this four-week maintenance shift in an isolated part in New England back in like the 1890s. Robert Pattinson plays this guy who's a newcomer to help him out with the maintenance. And William Defoe is basically this old crazy guy who's been working there for a long time. And he's kind of making him do all this stuff around the lighthouse. And it's pretty much them trying to keep themselves from going insane for being so isolated and only having the other person to talk to. They basically argue and yell at each other throughout the whole movie and then get drunk and forget about it. A really interesting movie and one that's really open for a bunch of interpretation. So here's just a little bit of The Lighthouse. Strike ye dead, Winslow! Oh! So in the movie, Robert Pattinson's character is kind of doing all the grunt work, and he's just being pushed around by William Defoe. Um, what I liked him better about the movie, first of all, is it's just shot so differently. It's black and white, and it's in it's a square, so pretty much like you would see an Instagram picture. That's how the whole movie is. I think that takes a bit getting used to just because it looks different right away so maybe like the first 10 minutes i was just getting used to that and it kind of has a feel of like a really old like 50s movie and even like a like a twilight zone episode a bit it's very like campy in a way where there's very big expressions and just weird things happening that come out of nowhere really and it's something you kind of got to get used to so it's 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 weird it's a bit of a weird movie so Robert Pattinson kind of starts going crazy at the beginning of the movie and like there's these seagulls that just kind of start getting on his nerves and the myth around the lighthouse is that if you kill a seagull, it's very bad luck. Well, Robert Pattinson gets really mad and kills a seagull and everything kind of goes downhill from there. So basically, they're fighting throughout the entire movie and just really just getting more and more insane. They're seeing stuff out at sea. And the only way they're kind of able to numb the pain is by getting drunk at night and then dancing and laughing at each other. But then at the end, they're just at each other's throats again. So a bunch of really crazy stuff happens. Um... It's, a, it's rated R, so there's some sexual content in it. Very out there nudity and some pretty hardcore violence. Like, this movie goes there. I think overall, it's a bit of a different watch. It's not a movie that really kept my attention all the way through. I liked what it did. I liked that it was different. But at times, it lost me a bit just because it's kind of weird and out there. I think overall, what I really took away from the movie is that the acting in this is just really great. I like movies that have a really limited cast because it pretty much puts those actors 
acting chops just on a higher level because it's just these two guys and a lighthouse and the acting in this is really what makes it i think robert pattinson really kind of shows how much he's how far he's come since twilight which i was explaining in the last episode that i think he'd be a great batman for this reason alone is that he's a really great actor outside of those twilight movies that i think a bunch of people haven't seen yet so if you watch him in this i think you get a different side of him and kind of realize oh man he can actually act pretty well he can get violent he can get angry and it's believable i think william defoe plays a really good cranky old dude at times it's hard for me to understand what he's saying and i wish i could have put it on subtitles just because they're speaking in a bit of a different accent just because it's back in the day but i really like how his character looked in the movie and overall how he was just kind of making Robert Panton's life a living hell. So it's pretty much just a mix of kind of comedy in a way and horror and just this old school black and white vibe. And it's even just kind of a little bit unsettling at times what happens in it. So it's not overall a horror movie, but it's just kind of creepy and just old school like that. So I'd say if maybe if you're into older horror movies or just kind of want to see the acting chops of Robert Pattinson, maybe this movie is worth you checking out. You can stream it right now or rent it for like five bucks. Probably not something I would have enjoyed more in theaters, but the fact that I just got to put it on at home and watch it, I liked it for that reason, but probably not for everybody. I give it three out of five seagulls. I think overall it's just very head scratching and you're wondering like, what am I watching at this moment? Um, so I like the fact that it is a novel movie, something I haven't seen done like this before, a story I had no idea where it was going to go, but just didn't really keep me there the entire time. So that's why I give it three out of five. All right, that's going to do it for this episode. But before I hop out of here, I have some movie news that I wanted to share with you guys. Three stories that I just thought were interesting to me because some movies are being made and now we have some more details about them. So at the end of last year, it was announced that Jackass 4 was going into production with Paramount. Johnny Knoxville made the announcement and they even had a release date for March 5th, 2021. The thing was, we don't really know who's all going to be in it. They're all older now, approaching 50. By the time this movie comes out, Johnny Knoxville, the star, will be 50. And it wasn't really said who's going to be in Jackass 4, which they haven't pulled out in a really long time. But overall, the Jackass franchise has been really profitable. They've made $335 million worldwide. But over the weekend, Steve-O made a post on Instagram with him and a jackass hoodie and said, proudly wearing this tonight, count me in, folks. So we know now that Steve-O will be a part of this movie. No word yet on the other people. Johnny Knoxville made some posts that saying that he'll probably get some newer, younger people in. Not from the other movies into this one, just to have some fresh blood. I think that's merely because of the fact that they're all older now and maybe can't take on some of the harder stunts. But the what I'm kind of wondering about is Bam Margera, who was in all the other movies and who has recently just been through some really tough times in and out of rehab and had some really bad problems with the law in his personal life. I don't know if he'll be able to get it together for this one, but the movie is still confirmed to come out next year. And now Steve-O is in. Yeah, dude. I also saw that the Simpsons 2 movie could be in the works. So the first one came out in 2007. I'm a really big Simpsons fan, my all-time favorite show Mainly the reason I'm even somewhat funny is because of things I learned from The Simpsons. And I like the first Simpsons movie. And another thing I just loved about The Simpsons movie is with all the promotion around it, they turned like 7-Elevens into Quickie Marts. There was all kinds of cool Simpsons merch around that time. And I like the idea of going to the movie theater again to watch another Simpsons movie. But this movie has been talked about for a very long time. And Simpsons producer Al Jean recently came out in an interview over the weekend that said, 
that if the Simpsons movie 2 does happen, it will be a standalone film. So it will in no way be a sequel to the first one, which I think is great. I think it's been a really long time since that one came out to make a sequel to that. Probably wouldn't work. And they're going in now of their 31st season of The Simpsons. And I've just really thought that a Simpsons movie would be a really great way just to end the entire series. Like, I love The Simpsons. I'm hardcore about maybe the first season 1 through 15. I'll now go watch The Simpsons whenever they have a pretty big episode, whenever they're trying something new or something different or a cool guest star, I'll go watch it now. But I can pretty much recite every single early Simpsons episode from heart, like to the point where I know every single episode title. That's how big of a Simpsons fan I am. So the different thing now is that 20th Century Fox has now been bought out by Disney and Disney has all the streaming rights to those all the seasons of The Simpsons. And now they have changed 20th Century Fox to just be 20th Century Studios. So if they made the Simpsons 2 sequel, I'm curious to see whether it will be like a straight Disney Plus release or they'll actually put it out in theaters under 20th Century Studios. And that's even if Disney wants to make it, which I think them owning them now has a really big factor to play into it because Disney's remaking all their movies right now live action. I think if you have such a big property as The Simpsons and now people are reintroduced to it on the Disney Plus streaming platform, that there's a really big opportunity there to make a new Simpsons movie that I think they'll hop on and I hope they do and I hope they do it justice. Screamville. Ooh, Ice Creamville. Uh, no, Screamville. Ah! And the last thing in movie news is that the Batman suit has leaked. I was talking about this all last episode. If you missed that, go back and listen to that episode. But I thought the suit looked pretty good. It looks pretty bulky, but not like Ben Affleck bulky. And I like kind of the ruggedness of the Batman logo on the chest. And overall, I thought it kind of reminded me of like Shredder's suit from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, just because of the arms kind of had like these blade things on them. And then on like the forearms, are like these really kind of Shredder-like things on them. The ears are very pointy, but I think overall from these first initial looks at it, you also just have to remember that these are set photos. So what this actually in the movies and on film, it will look a lot more different and probably a lot more cooler. The main thing I took away from it is there are no nipples. So that's a good sign. All right, that's it for movie news. I got to give my Instagram shout out of the week now to Shell Bell 113 who posted a picture of their car dashboard that they were listening to the episode. So that's always awesome for me to see. If you want an Instagram shout out, it's real easy to do. Just take a picture if you're listening on your car of the dashboard of the episode you're listening to or just screenshot it in the iHeartRadio app and tag me on Instagram at MikeDistro and I'll give you a shout out next week. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you don't mind, leave me that five star rating over on Apple Podcasts or just follow the show on iHeartRadio so you get brand new episodes here every single week. I will talk to you next Monday on a brand new episode. Until then, later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is... 
and you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-errands pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.